Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, founder of The Silver Edge. Our mission at The Silver Edge is to inspire men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. In this podcast, we share stories of amazing individuals who are doing just that to help motivate you to become the healthiest version of yourself, regardless of your age. And now, on to today's podcast. Hello, my guest today is Marsha Cadens. Marsha is a 57-year-old Chicago-area running coach and mom of two teenagers. She started running in her mid-30s as a way to lose weight and head off the heart disease that runs in her family. In 2007, she decided to run one marathon for the bucket list. Since then, she's run hundreds of races around the world, including the six world marathon majors. She's the voice behind the blog, Marsha's Healthy Slice, and shares recipes and workouts on the Marsha's Healthy Slice YouTube channel. Marsha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, my pleasure. So we certainly want to talk to you a lot about your story and marathoning in particular. But first, why don't you back up and let's get a little bit of history about kind of who you are and how you grew up. If you would, just start from the beginning. What were you like as a girl? Were you were you active or involved in sports? Um, you know, for as long as I can remember, I watched my dad and his side of the family. I mean, I was very, very young and they were struggling with heart disease. All of his sisters died in their 50s. And, you know, between type two diabetes, heart disease, obesity, all those things, I remember being very young and knowing that I have to figure out a way to do something different. So I was an active young girl. Um, I ran middle school track. Um, I actually did not do high school track. And it's kind of a funny story because in gym class, they made us do the 100 yard dash or something like that. Well, after they did that, the track coach was knocking on the homeroom door and she sent me notes, please join the track team, please join the track team. Well, I didn't do it because I was into figure skating and dance and I just didn't do it. And it's kind of one of my biggest regrets because my running sort of ended there for a long time. I went into a, I don't know, 20, 30 year retirement before I ever ran again. So yes, I was an active girl, but then I'd say, during college and after college, um, I would kind of go in spurts where I would hit the gym for a few weeks, like every day or even six weeks, but then I would lay off for six months. So there was nothing really consistent until I got to my 30s when I knew I wasn't getting any younger. I needed to do something or else I would end up like my dad and his whole family with the heart disease and everything. Okay. So let's just rewind just a little bit. So you, obviously you've been active for most of your life, it sounds like. And it's very interesting that part of the, that motivation was looking at folks in your family and and seeing folks set an unhealthy example. And you had the early intuition that that wasn't the route you wanted to go, right? Exactly. So we got some running. And then, as you said, in high school, you, you kind of found some other activities, physical activities. And um, like you said, took a little hiatus from running. You mentioned hitting the gym there um, sporadically. What types of things were you doing in the gym? Were you doing weight training or resistance training or? Definitely resistance training. I mean, back then when I first, in my twenties and stuff like that, I 
would do the machines and you would go to a class, aerobics class or step aerobics or whatever thing. But when I met my husband, actually, it's kind of a funny story. We used to golf together and he, he challenged me to a bench press contest. Now, I had never picked up a free weight that was more than two and a half pounds. I mean, my little princess bells at that point. So I was like, oh, game on. So I went and I got myself the, the biggest, most muscular trainer there was. And I was like, you have to train me because the deal was he was got, if he couldn't lift twice what I could lift, <laughs> then he would win. And I was just so sure that I could, you know, really give him a good challenge there. So that's when I was exposed to the free weights in the gym. So before I ever took on distance running, I was very much in the gym and very much into free weights. Okay. And I, I want to put a pin in that for now because I definitely want to come back to that. I, I think that that's going to be important in your story here, but let's, let's continue on. So it sounds like you, um, uh, after college, you, it sounds like you met your husband. You had a really fun challenge. I love that you guys had a um, a bench press challenge. I suppose we need to know who who won ultimately, right? <laughs> how, how did that well, work I had out? no idea what I was talking about. He lifted over three hundred pounds, and I think I put up one fifteen, which I am still proud of. I'm yeah. sorry, I yeah, <laughs> I'm still proud of one fifteen, but obviously I lost. So <laughs> okay, yeah, no, three hundred pounds is a is no joke. That's a legitimate bench press. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that that's great. Um, all right. So now you're married, probably got some kids coming along, um, coming into your thirties. You, we mentioned at the top of the show that you said you were going to do one marathon and tick it off the bucket list. And I, I suspect a lot of marathoners start that way. Why don't you talk about what led to the decision to do that one marathon and then walk us through that experience? You know, I had spent years running 5k, 10k. And I think the year, I think my old, my youngest daughter was like nine months old when I ran my first 10 mile race. And at that point I said to myself, you know, I, I wonder what it would be like to run a marathon. And I just didn't want to have that regret of wondering what it would have been like and not doing it. And I figured, well, I'm not getting any younger. It's not going to get easier. Just do it. So in 2007, that was the year I ran my first half and full marathon. Okay. And for those folks listening that might not know, a marathon is 26.2 miles. Uh -huh. Is that right? Yeah. So that's, yes. that's a considerable distance to travel. And talk to us, how did you train for that first marathon? What was that like? Um, I read Runner's World very religiously and I soaked up all the information I could. And I think I found the book Run Less, Run Faster because um, and I was actually very lucky because it suits my body type. That kind of training is not right for everyone. It's low mileage running, but there's a lot of intensity, which is actually a good thing for muscular people who are very strong. So it kind of suited my body type and what I'd been doing up to that point. I mean, my strength training played, I mean, I think the reason I qualified for Boston so quickly is because I came in with so much strength. So it really complemented the running. So that's how I trained. I trained three days a week of running, low mileage, but a lot of speed work, a lot of tempo work. And um, it was kind of a shame because my first marathon was that very hot and canceled Chicago Marathon in 2007. So I had, I was at mile 22 and they called the race. They said, you know, board the cooling buses. You all need to walk. You need to get off the course. The race is over. Well, I'll tell you, no runner with four miles to go is going to not finish. So I finished and I said I would never do another one because <laughs> it was miserable. But of course, I had to. 
Wow. So I, I didn't realize that I've never heard of a, of a marathon actually being, so they canceled, they just basically canceled, they called it. Yeah. Um, but you were close enough to the end that you were going to, you're not getting on the bus and cooling down, right? Right. You're not, you don't run 22 miles to quit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're thinking, look, this is a bucket list kind of thing. I may never do this again. Probably at mile 22, you're thinking, I will never do this again. Exactly. Um, all right. And then talk us through the next couple of days or just that feeling of finishing first, right? That very first one. It's got to be a little anticlimactic that it was officially canceled, but yet you had traveled that distance. That's what you set out to do. What were you feeling? And then how did that how did that feeling carry over into the next couple of weeks, months? Well, it only lasted, I mean, I was really ticked off that my marathon turned out that way because that's not what I trained for and it, it was beyond my control. You know, I did everything right. So I was ticked off and not going to do another one. But within a couple of days, I was like, I have to do another one because I don't know how well I could have done. So then I started furiously looking for another marathon, like how soon can I do it again? And I injured myself because coming off of your first marathon, the body needs to rest, you know, and I didn't realize. So I started ramping up. I was going to do rock and roll Vegas, I think, in November. So that was it was only like not less than two months away. And I was ramping up to a 16 miler and my IT band went. So lesson learned. You need to recover and so then I recovered, regrouped, and set a goal for the following year. The following October was going to be my my redemption race. And where was that one? Was that also Chicago or? Did you, no. or yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I chose Grand Rapids, Michigan, because it was a week after Chicago, and it was in Michigan, and it was on shady, beautiful trails where I just had no faith that Chicago would be cool enough. So I felt like Grand Rapids, Michigan would be a better place with better weather. So that's why I chose it. And then I assume that one, they did not call the race and you got to actually complete, officially complete your first marathon at that point? That's where I qualified for Boston. Yeah. Holy moly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was like the perfect race. It was absolutely, I could not have hoped for a better day. It, it was my easiest of all the marathons I've run. That one felt the easiest and it was my fastest. So I was just so well-trained in the day. It was just like the perfect storm of conditions and training just came together and it was a wonderful race. So let's let's talk about this for a minute. In 2007, you decided you're going to tick off a bucket list. You're going to run a marathon. Didn't go quite the way you planned. Uh, you decided you're going to do another one right away and get that off um, off the plate, off your bucket list. That one didn't work out due to injury. And so a year later, after you decided you're going to run that first one, you run and you qualify for Boston. First, why don't you tell folks that may not be familiar, what does it take to qualify for Boston Marathon? Well, it depends how old you are. At the time, I needed to be sub four hours, which I was. And um, Boston's gotten really crazy now with the qualifying times. It wasn't quite that strict. I mean, at that time, I think they would give you your qualifying time and you they would actually give you a buffer. And when you qualified, you actually had a month or two to decide if you wanted to run it. I mean, now it's kind of like you have to wait until that qualifying time and hope you get in. So it wasn't quite that frenetic with actually getting to run the race. And I'm so grateful that I was able to qualify and run then before it got, it just blew out of proportion with popularity. So, but still it was a great accomplishment too. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a goal I never even dared set for myself because I mean, 
to me, Boston was unreachable. So it was surreal to come across that finish line and think I, I had done it at my second marathon. Yeah, that's that's quite an accomplishment. And I, I, there may be some listeners out there that don't realize that big races, specifically Boston is, is one of the largest, um, that those are races that you need to qualify for. And I suppose they have a few slots in, on lottery, et cetera. But the, those are races that you have to run a certain time in a, another race. And like you said, it's all age dependent. So how old were you when you qualified for, for your Boston? Um, I was in my early to mid 40s. Okay. So is it fair to say at, at this point that you're, that you're hooked? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, at this point, I've done more than I ever imagined. I mean, when I set that goal of six world marathon majors, I set it because I had Boston under my belt and that's the toughest one. I figured if I can do, if I already have the toughest marathon done, I should just go for the six world marathon majors, but <laughs> those are no picnic either. <laughs> so why don't you talk to us about the the World Marathon Majors? What are the World Marathon Majors? Okay, so it's a group of six races at this point. There used to be five, and during my quest, they added a six. So it's Chicago, New York, Boston, Berlin, Tokyo, and London. Yeah, that's quite that's quite a list. Um, and those were all mega races, right? Those were all mega big. Yes, mega big. Got to qualify. Um, so. Had you been a world traveler prior to running? Were you were you a traveling person? A little bit. We've we've okay. definitely. I mean, we, I used to live in um, Great Britain, and it's a funny story because I was just starting to run when we were there. It was soon after we were married, and I would run around England. And one day, outside of this running store, they had an application to the London Marathon, and I took one. And at that time, all you had to do was sign up and you were in. There was no lotteries and crazy, you know, 1% people get in and all that stuff. So I took it. But the most I had ever run at that time was seven miles. And I just didn't have the confidence to sign up. And it became one of my biggest regrets that I didn't, because I could have done it. Now I know I could have done it. But then I just didn't have the confidence. So I let that opportunity slip away. So when London, London ended up being my final world marathon major, I came full circle and made that my last marathon instead of my first. Okay. So now you say that was your last marathon. Was that the last of your world majors or last of your marathons? Well, at this point, because I finished London in 2019, mm -hmm. it, it's both. I mean, I, that's where okay. I wrapped up the majors and there've been no marathons. You know, I, right. honestly, now I've been, I mean, I won't say I'll never do a marathon again, but ser to, honestly, because I, mean, I have autoimmune disease, I have Hash Hashimoto's um, thyroid and once you hit menopause, it's just kind of become a like father time pulls the rug out on you a little bit. So running that kind of distance is probably not in my best interest going forward for longevity. Now, I'm not saying I will never run a marathon. I mean, Patagonia marathon is something I always, you know, I would run that or maybe even Paris. So, I mean, if I were to run another marathon, it would be a really cool one. Because I love the idea of traveling and running and meeting runners around the world. There's just nothing like it. Okay. And just to back up, um, you would reference there are no no races right now. So anybody listening to this in the future, we're recording this in July of 2020. So we're in the midst, obviously, of the, the COVID-19. And so... Yeah, that's put a, a big hamper on a lot of things, and races certainly would, would be one of them. So sounds like you've ticked off all these marathons, 
and I'm assuming, do you, do you know how many marathons you've run at this point? Have you run marathons other than just the, the majors? Yeah, I've run a total of, of full marathons. I've run 14. Half marathons, I've stopped counting at 100. So there's been tons <laughs> okay. of things. Yeah. And so it, obviously you're still running today, right? What is your, what is your running look like today? You're run- My, it's been a really hot summer. And I've been focusing more with strength training. That's not to say I still run around 20 miles a week. And it's usually on trails because it's cooler and they're beautiful. I love trail running now. And, um, you know, it's where before my minimum run was five or six miles. Now my my shortest run is three or four miles. So I've cut back. Yep. And so let's go back. Early on, you had talked about you're a, you're a strong runner, and you had mentioned your weekly mileage was lower than what most people would assume you need to do for a marathon. Talk to us a little bit about how strength training is important for something like endurance uh, events like marathoning. I think that's maybe counterintuitive to some people. Yes, a lot of runners will totally neglect strength training. And a lot of runners think it it adds weight and bulk to your body that you don't want to carry through a marathon, which I sort of get. But unless you're going to win the marathon, you know, it's not really, (laughs) it's not really, but um, the muscles support your joints. So it helps you prevent injury. Um, uh, Muscles on your upper body, I mean, it's, tiring to run 26 miles and you start slouching and slumping. I've heard so many women finish a marathon and be so sore in their upper body the day after they don't know what's going on. I said, it's because you don't strength train your upper body. I mean, it just helps you maintain good running form and good posture, which keeps your diaphragm, you know, your lungs off your diaphragm. So you can breathe better through your race. So it, it strength helps in so many ways that you don't even think of. And are, uh, are you a coach? Do you coach folks as well? I do. I, I thought so. So talk a little bit about your coaching practice. And as you're coaching folks, are you coaching in strength as well as, as running? No, just running. But I certainly, um, a lot of them will be, they'll have a CrossFit coach or something like that on the side. So they will do that as well. But they, de- I definitely recommend that they do a lot of strength training as well, because it, especially for older runners, I don't think it's good to run 50, 60, 70 miles a week. I just don't think that's in anybody's best interest, unless you're that certain body type that can handle that. But most of us cannot. So I think going as we age, it's better to be strong and run less miles, but some intensity in there. Gotcha. So folks that you coach, are they typically older people or do you coach all ages? I coach all ages, but mostly they're the 40 plus crowd. Okay. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, so when you talk about strength training, what, what might that look like? So what would a, say a typical week for you be? And let's just assume that gyms were open and you had, had access. It looks like you may have a, a home gym there, but I do. Yeah. So you're very, one of the, one of the lucky few, what does a, say a typical week of working out on the resistance side look like for you? Um, one day a week, I'll hit it heavy where I'll, I I warm up on a step mill. That's probably what I miss the most about not having a gym now is the step mill. I love like step mill Tabata with some intensity to warm up. And then I'll go over to the squat rack and do some, you know, back squats, front squats, um, deadlift. And then I go over to the bench press and do some of that. And then, um, it depends, you know, some bicep, tricep, some other things like that. Like th- that's one day a week. And then there'll be another day that's maybe a leg day or a, 
it kind of changes up, but I, I, t- I choose one day to really hit the weights heavy. Okay. And it sounds like a lot of functional movement, compound lifts. You had mentioned squats, deadlifts, yep. presses. Yep. So those are all pretty classic, right? It's, you're not yep. so much using the, you know, the isolation machines more. Sounds like the, the squat rack with the free weights is kind of the way to go there. And I think that maybe, it, am I wrong in my assumption that that you're maybe the exception in the endurance world there? Or is that more of an accepted modality to, to train heavy on squats and deadlifts um, for endurance runners? No, for a runner, I'm very much the exception. And maybe that's changing or is that optimistic? Um, a lot of runners would be like, I know I should, or where do I start? Or, you know, or I don't know. It, it, it's kind of like they know strength would help, but it's hard when you're running, when you're really focused on running to split your time and really give strength training a lot of focus. Yeah, that that's a good point. So you had mentioned the mileage and I, I know, you know, people that are doing marathons, they're typically 50, 60 miles a week. And by the time you're running that many miles in a week, um, you know, as well as your social responsibilities, you probably have a job that you have to take care of as well. It might be tough to fit in um, resistance training two, three days a week. So that, right. that's fair enough. Well, let's talk a little bit about nutrition and let's start with race day nutrition. So not everybody listening to this may understand that um, certainly long endurance events are off, often um, a quest to keep yourself fueled. Can you talk about what it takes to stay hydrated and fueled in you know a, an event that's going to take three, four hours? Um, well, the preparation for, like, say I have a marathon on the weekend, I'll hydrate and electrolytes that entire week. So you don't really like hydrate the day before or two days before. You need to spend the whole week very hydrated and make sure your electrolytes are right. And um, even carbs, again, that's not a night before kind of thing. It's it's the few days before that you kind of load up on your carbs and things like that. Okay. And then during the race, what does that look like? Um, well, you know, everybody's different, of course, but um, electrolyte drink. And, you know, they say every 15 minutes or so, you just I just kind of methodically, and then the gels. So between the the electrolyte drink and the gels, which are essentially sugar, you just kind of keep yourself going. And then I would always toward the end, because at the end, I swear, you just want kind of like an IV of, <laughs> of fuel of some kind. I would use chews just to, as an, an amuse-bouche even, just something to, to break it up. You know, you just kind of get hangry and tired and you just want to be done. So <laughs> I would go with gels as kind of a treat or the, the chews for is sort of a treat at the very, very end when you're just miserable. If people don't know what we're talking about when you say gels and chews, these are basically very simple carbohydrates. I know that goo is one of the more popular kind of brands. They're, they're kind of gross. They have a just a sweet, thick, texture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the idea is that they're very easily digestible. And you'd mentioned some people may do them as often as every 15 minutes, but certainly there has to be some sort of cadence. Um, have you ever bonked during an endurance event? You know, not really. I mean, I typically so afraid of the pain and the hurting that I make sure for marathon, you have to respect the distance. And I'm not interested in hurting the way it would hurt to not be trained appropriately or not fuel appropriately. So I can't say I've ever, I mean, my, my toughest marathon was in Tokyo because it was so cold and it was pouring rain and it was windy. And what Tokyo has very strict rules. They'll sweep the course every 5k. So if you're not on a certain pace, 
they come with this rope and they cut you off and you're done. So there's a lot of there's a lot of rules to maintain a certain pace. So anyway, their rules, one of the rules was you needed to be in the starting corral 90 minutes before the start of the race. Whoa. So there I was, because if you don't, if you're not in 90 minutes before they close it, you're not going to run that day. So I was in and it was pouring and I had my tall kitchen garbage bag on and I silly me didn't have a decent poncho, which I will never not have a poncho ever again, because I learned my lesson. I thought I would just throw that away. And I had a little rain jacket under it. Well, it poured for 90 minutes before we started. So I was already soaked. I ran the entire marathon in that garbage bag. And by 13, mile 13, mile 15, I could feel my body. I mean, I was just shivering. I mean, it was it was 40 degrees and pouring. So it was that cold rain. And I could just feel the hypothermia. You know, you, with running and shivering is just not something you do. You get warmed up. So I'm wearing this garbage bag and my rain jacket soaked to the bone and I could feel my body. That was the only time I really felt my body going south where I knew that there was a real possibility I would not be able to finish. And then I've got the threat of these ladies with the rope to cut off the race. (laughs) And so I just kind of, you know, you kind of, it got to the point where I could barely run. It was like kind of a walk because you just feel like you're going to throw up if you run because your body's had it. So that was the toughest time where it really became a real possibility that I would not finish. And Tokyo is one of those races where they let like 1% of the applicants in the race. So it was amazing that I got a spot. And I knew that if I didn't finish, I would never get another chance to go to Tokyo and run that race. So it was just one of those things where you just got to get it in. And thankfully, I did. Wow. Yeah. Every single bit of that sounds miserable, starting with the 90 minutes uh, in a in a starting corral. And that's probably very early in the morning, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 Um, and freezing cold, pouring down rain, can't use the bathroom right before you go. I mean, there's just nothing about that that sounds like fun. And then I can imagine that was a miserable, um, a miserable race. And, and hats off to you to, to stick through that and to finish it out, knowing that that's probably, like you said, probably your only shot at something, something that spectacular. Okay, well, let's talk about nutrition outside of a race. How do you eat just day to day? Um, you know, like I mentioned before, menopause, and I've noticed with running marathons since menopause, um, when when your estrogen drops, as it does in menopause, um, cortisol becomes a real issue. And that's where this belly fat comes from. Because here I was running marathons, and I was eating well and you know, running a ton, and I was gaining weight. And I and I, I complained to the doctor. I said, you know, I don't even look like I work out. What is going on here? And the doctors didn't even know. They're just like, oh, it's normal. Go away. You know, get used to it. Most people gain more weight. I go, yeah, but I'm running marathons. I'm doing all this work. I shouldn't look this way. So I've since learned that when your estrogen drops, you don't dissipate your cortisol. And that stress hormone puts weight, makes weight collect around your waist. So because of that, I've changed the way I eat a lot since I I don't eat as many carbs and I eat more fats, high protein, Mm -hmm. high fat. And and that's one of the reasons I'm not crazy about um, the way I used to feel for marathons was all this sugar. Well, now I'm a fat burner. So if I were to run a marathon, it would be pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's... um especially in endurance athletes, there is a contingent of folks that, you know, you have that keto crowd that they're Mm -hmm. fat as fuel. And that's, you know, we could save that for another time. I don't know if that's a discussion we want to talk about here, but it is kind of interesting, right? That the vast majority of endurance athletes 
are fueled by carbs. Yes. And so there, you, you, in order to just run <laughs> at that intensity and with that regularity, that's just the, that's the norm is, is to fuel that way. So you're more of a, more of a, um, uh, a higher fat, higher protein. Is it fair yes. to say lots of whole foods? Yes. I mean, that's my kind of my mantra right now is train smarter, not harder. And I'm eating more of different foods now than I was before. Before I was barely eating and I, I, I just didn't understand why I had all this fat. I was barely eating and I was working out like crazy. I was working out too hard. So my smarter, not harder is what I'm doing now. Yeah. I think a lot of people... Um, especially obsessive exercise type folks may not understand that the, you know, there's a fine line between being very healthy and then taking that a little too far. Um, those over exercisers typically find they have um, decreased immune systems uh, and everything that goes along with that. And to your point, um, can have a lot of, of, of side effects as well. So what about recovery? What do you do for recovery, especially given that you've got some resistance training, you've got some running, you're, you're obviously very, still very active. What are your thoughts on recovery and specifically sleep? Um, sleep is so important. I, again, as I'm older now for the first time, it, it's um, a little bit elusive. It's not as easy. I used to be a great sleeper and I'm not so much anymore, but what I found, because now I've learned from the doctor that I don't absorb vitamin D. So we've brought that, you know, supplementing vitamin D a lot. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping great again. So it's just funny. I mean, as you age, it's just kind of a, things just pop up. And if you can learn about them, I mean, a lot of the medical community doesn't really know. So you really have to be your own advocate and do your own research and learn about these things. But yeah, sleep is so, so important. Um, another thing I love is collagen for joint support and gut support. I mean, I was one of those people because... I hypothyroid, I'm not supposed to have gluten and soy. And I would, I defended, I was like, but I, I feel great. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to be gluten-free. Well, guess what? I'm gluten-free now and it, I'm, I feel even better. So, yeah. Yeah. You brought up um, uh, collagen and I, I saw that you had that great recipe for it's a uh, coffee collagen popsicles. Oh yeah. 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 So I've, I've actually ordered the, the little, what is it? The cinnamon, um, Oh, the stevia? The, yeah, the cinnamon. Is it right? Is that right? Vanilla cinnamon stevia or something that yep. you've used yep. in that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try that out myself. So, and I'll yeah, put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, we mentioned at the top that you have a YouTube channel. You've got some great recipe ideas there, including the, the, uh, the coffee collagen popsicles if people want to try that out. Okay, so we, we've talked a little bit about recovery. We've talked about nutrition. We've talked about um, your workout regimen. So what's, what's next for you? What obviously right now we're on a hiatus for, for all races, I think, but do you see yourself continuing to be in kind of local five K's, 10 K's traveling for races or what, what does the next year or so look like for you? Um, a lot of what I do now is social. We, I run, you know, I have friends all over the world, literally, and they'll say, come do this and come do that. So as soon as racing opens up again, I'm sure I'll go to Washington, D.C. and do a 10-miler of the Cherry Blossom 10 or something like that. I mean, I mean I've, I've done ch chasing paces, but um, it's just social and it's just fun to run. I will always run in some capacity. I mean, I don't care about how fast I am anymore. It's just a matter of I can still do it and it's joyful. And if, as long as it feels good, I'm going to be doing it. 
Okay, I love that. So you're not, what did you say? You're not chasing paces. It's more of a, mm-hmm. a social, you're you're doing this for the love of it and the joy of it and to move your body and be healthy. Is that is that fair? Yes, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Okay, so what would you say to somebody, maybe it's a a, a woman or a man in, in their 50s who maybe has done, you know, has done the, the local 5K, but no serious running. What would you say to somebody in the in the fifties, maybe even sixties, and they hear this and they think, you know what, that that's always been a something I've wondered about a marathon, and I wonder if I could do that. What would you say to somebody who's considering doing a, a first marathon, maybe in their fifties or sixties? I think you are never too old. So if if it if it interests you in the slightest bit, I think you should go for it because you don't want to have that regret of wondering what would have been if I would have done it or I wish I would have done that because we're none of us are getting any younger. I think we should just take our opportunities and go for it. I love that. I think that's a sentiment that's echoed over and over again on the show. It's never too late to start. Certainly some of our past guests have had that exact same that exact same sentiment. So never too late to start. And where's a good, what's a good resource? Do you have a, a book or where would you point somebody to kind of really get started on the practicality of, well, this is how much I should run and how I should get started, et cetera? Oh, there's so many. I mean, just Googling around the internet, you can learn so much. I mean, Runner's World was my um, inspiration so many years ago. I mean, that magazine is still out there. But um, just Google new runners, and there's so many groups. I mean, I work for the Zuma Women's Running Series. It's great for women beginners, you know, and there's training plans. It's all free. There's a free running club. So and that stuff's all on Facebook. So that's a great resource. And you, you said that's Zuma? Yes, Z-O-O-M-A. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, great. So people can check that out. All right. Well, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way for folks to find out more about you? My blog, which I started that blog as my training journal for Boston back in 2009. So it's been there over, it's like almost 12 years old. So (laughs) is marshashealthyslice.com. I post recipes and short little workouts over on YouTube, which is Marsha's Healthy Slice. You can find me over there. That'd be awesome. And those workouts are kind of small because I like to give people the flexibility to not overwork. I don't want people to have to commit to an hour of workout because for a lot of us older people, that can be too much. So I do, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. And if you want to do two or three of them and make 30 or 40 minutes, that's great. But I, I leave my workouts short for a reason, just so you can be flexible with what you want to do that day. Or maybe you don't even have time. So because I know that's a big excuse is I wish I could find the time. So we all wish we had a little more time to pursue uh-huh. the things we want to do, I'm sure. Okay. So certainly you have the Instagram account, you've got the YouTube account and the the blog on the website, right? Right. And Instagram is run definitely. It's like indefinitely, except it's run, run definitely. Run definitely. And yeah. like I said, I'll, I'll drop all of those into the show notes so folks can, can track you down there as well. Perfect. All righty. Well, Marsha, uh, certainly best of luck to you in all your future endeavors. Um, you're a great ambassador for healthy aging, and I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Thank you, Kevin. It was great to be here. Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.